In the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I recall as a child being told by my mother not to watch so much TV. She would say to me something like, go outside and play, your brain's going to turn into strawberry jam, you know, and she would shut the TV off and shoo me out the door. And I I remember teachers when I was a child telling us, you know, that television was going to rot your brain and you would have poor performance in school and, you know, don't, I remember, I remember hearing about preachers railing against the moral decay of television and, and so it began to think, you know, here recently, I mean, if a person, how much do they really watch? I mean, how much television would a person... And, and so I started doing a little math. Um, you know, if a person lived to be 85 years old, watched two hours of TV a day, they would watch 62,050 hours of television in their lifetime. Seven years of your life, if you watch just two hours of TV a day. Well, I thought, well, you know... I bet there's some other things I could do some adding with, you know. And so sleep. You sleep a lot more than two hours a day, right? You sleep eight hours a day. 248,000 hours of sleep in your lifetime. 28 years of life spent sleeping. My friend used to always want to do everything. He never wanted to sleep. He always wanted to go do something. And he would always tell to me, you know, we'd sleep. Joe, you can sleep when you're dead. Come on, we got to go, you know. Sleep when you're 28 years you sleep. You spend five and a half years of your life eating at the table. Five and a half years. You think your son or daughter spends a lot of time in the shower? You're right. Three years they spend in the shower. That's a long time, right? That's a lot of water. Bear with me, ladies. Um, you know how much time the average woman spends putting on makeup? Four years of her life. If you're married... You spend four years waiting for someone to put on makeup, right? (laughs) You got that one. Yeah, 28 years sleeping, seven years watching television, six or five years eating, three years in a shower, four years putting on makeup or waiting for someone to put on makeup. But if you went to church every single Sunday, in utero even, you know, like my poor children, every single Sunday of your entire life, you would spend six months in church. If you went every single Sunday. You could go three times a week and you would spend less time in church than you spend in the shower. In fact, most people spend more time getting ready and traveling to church than they actually do in church. More time getting ready. And I thought to myself, well, that's odd. You know, why would someone spend so much time getting ready you know, for some, you know, what be as long? I mean, why that much time preparation? My boys are probably trying, well, Dad, we can hold down that average for you, you know. You know we don't require nearly as much. You know, why do you spend so much time? Well, it depends on the occasion. We spend time, times, a lot of time in preparation. Depends on the occasion. Suppose you're going out to eat tonight. How would you prepare? You say to yourself, wait, depends on what we're doing, you know. If you're, you know, hanging out with the family, going to catch a ball game, doesn't require a lot of preparation, does it? You don't call to make reservations. You can just maybe show up and get a burger or something like that. But suppose it's a special night, an anniversary, or you know, something like that. So, you know, well then it might take a little more time, right? You might, you might get a haircut. You know, you might, 
You might uh, do whatever it is that you do uh, to, to get ready, you know. You might... Ladies might get their nails done. I don't know. You might go and you you certainly would, you know, clean up and put on nice clothes. You spend a little more time preparing. What if it was a job interview? You know, I remember when I was growing up, you know, my my mother would say, you know, if you get a job interview, put a tie on and a jacket, you know, go, you know, press your clothes, look neat, you know, be ready, this sort of stuff. You probably wouldn't go out and have a couple cocktails beforehand, would you? You know, you don't, that's not the thing you would do. Well, maybe you would, I don't know. But you would, you shouldn't, you know, right? You should go with a clear mind, looking your best. Getting ready depends on the event. You know, you're going to a ball game and burger, not much preparation needed. <laughs> I couldn't get that word out. Preparation needed. Not much at all. You're going, you know, to a special dinner, maybe a lot more. You're going to a job interview, different kind of preparation there. What about going to church? I mean, what kind of preparation is involved in going to church? I mean, is it really important the clothes that we pick out or the style of, that we put on our hair or, you know it, it, is all of that really the way we prepare to go to church have you ever been caught off guard for something i mean totally unprepared for an event i remember a few years ago well it's probably about 10 years ago now it was a regular thursday morning just a, a typical Thursday morning. And my, my friend um, Ruth was uh, at her home. Ruth was, uh, she's actually the, the parent of, of a dear friend of ours. And, and Ruth was at her home. She was getting ready to go on a little trip. And uh, her husband had went off to the grocery. And Ruth was getting up in her attic. Their attic entrance was through the garage. And so she was pulled down the little ladder that you could go up and get into the garage. And was getting something out of some suitcases or whatnot. And was coming down. And she slipped on the steps, apparently, and fell and hit the back of her head, and she died instantly. Her husband comes back, his wife of 30 years, in the garage, and their life completely changed. In a moment, everything was... I remember walking into the church that morning. Church secretary said, I got some bad news to tell you. And she told me exactly what happened. It had happened just moments ago. It was in the same hour. And so I was able to get to the, to the house and met our friends that were there uh, and, and the family who had gathered. And what a shock that was. It was, like, it was like a punch, you know, completely unprepared for anything like that. Isaiah, the prophet, had just such an experience. It wasn't the death, though it was something like that. He shows up at church one day, the temple in Israel. He comes to worship. He probably showed up just like anybody else. You know, he got up and maybe put on his suit and combed his hair. Wasn't much thinking about it. He shows up to worship just like everybody else would. This was about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And he goes in, in the midst of the worship, suddenly he's transported from the spot. I don't know whether it literally happened or whether it mystically happened or spiritually happened. I don't think that's nearly as important. But here's what happened to Isaiah. Uh, um, Sue read it just a moment ago. She's right. An amazing, amazing vision. He suddenly sees God. He sees God as He really is. But he doesn't jump for joy, does he? And not like Isaiah says, Oh, wow, I have, this is amazing. Everybody should come join. He doesn't do that at all. In fact... It's kind of scary when you read Isaiah's account. Did you hear the description? His robe, the hem of his robe, the train of his robe, filled the temple. 
I think Isaiah was kind of surprised. I don't think he envisioned God like this at all. I think he thought maybe, you know, maybe God is, you know, kind of compartmentalized. You know, in, in Isaiah's world, the, the temple would have been something like this, only much bigger, like this building. And up here there would have been this veil. You couldn't see. You couldn't see what was back here. Where, the, where our altar is, that would have been covered. There would have been an altar similar size. Can, uh, where those candles are, there would have been angels on that altar. Uh, statues of angels. And they, they look towards the center where the seat, where no one sat but God. And, and, and Isaiah might have imagined that maybe, maybe God sort of fit in this space up here. But suddenly that day in the, in, in the temple, he saw that he was way off. In fact, the whole building couldn't even contain the hem of God's garment. He was huge. He was amazing. He was beyond any... He was holy. There were angels flying around. They were covering their faces. The angels could not look upon the image of God. Instead, they cry out what? Holy, 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 thrice holy. This is really cool in Hebrew. In Hebrew, in order to emphasize something, they didn't have exclamation points. And they didn't have double exclamation points. I remember in college, my uh, professor telling me, Joe, there's never a time where you need to put three exclamation points. Well, you don't know me. You know, there were no exclamation points in Hebrew. If you wanted to say something with emphasis, you had to say it with, you know, multiple times. To say pure gold, you would say gold, gold. To say the figs were full of pits, you would say pits, pits. To say God is holy, holy, holy would have been to say that God is amazingly holy. This is thrice holy. Holy, holy. Holy, holy, Yahweh, the Lord of heaven and earth, is completely, utterly holy. And get this, not just morally pure. That certainly isn't contained in the word holy, right? Morally pure, without sin, without defilement, you know, goodness all the way through and through. But holiness is more than that. God is not like anything else in the world. God is not like any other person or human being. God is completely different, and this terrifies Isaiah. He is terrified by the sight of God. He doesn't come running up and and jump up in the air. And, And he's not really talking about the form of God. He's talking about God's essence, His majesty, His awesomeness, His power. He's not a doting grandpa with a corncob pipe and a cup of black coffee. That's not the image that Isaiah sees of God. And it's not even Michelangelo's image of this, you know, elderly gentleman relaxing on a cloud with his finger root. It's not like that. It is a God who is powerful and one to be feared. But get this. When Isaiah sees this, he also sees something else. He sees himself. He sees himself in the light of the holiness of God. Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in a people live among a people of unclean lips. I don't know if you ever think about this sort of stuff, but I always wonder, you know, like you know, how dedicated to this thing am I really? You know, I'm, I mean in the scale of Christianity, I mean where do I rank? Am I even getting a baseball card? You know what I mean? I, I don't I don't know. Maybe you don't think about that sort of stuff. Um and I, and I think about the holiest people that I ever known, you know, or, or have read about. 
think about, you know, people like, I don't know, uh, Mother Teresa. I think about St. Augustine. Never met, but I've read about it. I think John Wesley and John Calvin. And these, these, you know, these Martin Luther, these great people of old. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah, these great people that I... I think about people like Claude Nicholas, who was the first pastor they ever had. He led me to the Lord. You know, I, these people that, that really were influential and, and changed my life. People who I know love the Lord. And then I go and I actually read what they said about themselves. <laughs> you know? And Mother Teresa said, you, you know, if God is here, then I'm like somewhere like way down here. And I think to myself, well, I have to get down on the floor then and compare myself to her, right? I mean, where am I in this... This is what Isaiah says. He sees God and he says, Woe is me! Eugene Peterson translates this, Doomsday! This is doomsday! I am done! I am finished! But that's not the end of the story, is it? An angel flies over to Isaiah and places these these coals, these burning coals on his lips. And And he transforms him. He changes him. Kyle Yates, this Old Testament scholar of a, of a different age, said three things happen here. There's prostration, purification, and, and commission. That, that, that Isaiah, he, he falls down as dead before God. And, and then he's purified. And then he's commissioned. And these three things happen, I think, anytime someone comes into the presence of God. It, it's one of the things that worries me about um, a, lot of, um, a lot of what I read in, in modern kind of worship material, you know, that that everything ought to be um, about celebration. There's a time to celebrate. Don't get me wrong. But coming into the presence of God is not a time to throw a party. It's often a time to fall on your face. Oh my goodness, we're coming into the presence of a holy God. And the first thing that we all of a sudden see is our own pride. Woe is me. My goodness, I'm undone. And then, and then we call out for purification. Oh God, change me. Do something in me. Because you know what? I've tried this moral reform thing over and over and over again. And every time I do, I mess it up. But if you'll do something in me, if you'll do something for me that I can't do for myself, well then I can have real change in my life. A real transformation. But here's the bit. When that happens, when we prostrate ourselves before God, and when He does something in us, then it comes to the question. God ends this little story, doesn't He? Now, hmm, who shall go for us? And whom shall I send? And I see Isaiah saying, as he looks around the room and sees nobody else in there, I'll go. Here I am. Lord, send me. Send me. You know, I would that we would come into the presence of God ourselves. That when we got ready for church, we came not just ready to see one another, though I'm glad we get to see one another. I mean, you guys are all so beautiful. Who wouldn't want to see you, right? And you're also intelligent. Who wouldn't want to talk to you? You're, you're fantastic. But, but I would that we would come to church ready to meet God. As terrifying, as fearful as that is, I love what Annie Dillard said. You know, we shouldn't wear straw hats. We should all wear crash helmets when we come in here. I mean, we're coming into the presence of the Almighty. Today is Trinity Sunday. It's also Graduate Sunday. 
which I thought was really great, uh, a lovely paradox. Because on one hand, we, um, we celebrate our graduates who have uh, you know, achieved some milestone in their intellectual development. And on the other hand, we are going to celebrate the doctrine of God, which is beyond comprehension. So we're going to tell you just how intelligent you've become and how now there's something that we're going to tell you to believe in that you'll never be able to get your mind around. Isn't that wonderful? That God is so big, so huge, so awesome, so holy, so magnificent that you'll never really be able to get your mind around God. That He's bigger than you thought. More powerful than you thought. He's sovereign. He can do whatever He wants without asking your permission. He's not a genie in a bottle to be manipulated or commanded. He is the almighty, holy God. Incomprehensible. Defying explanation. And it frightens me terribly to think about coming into the presence of this God. But I would that we all would get into the presence of this God. Don't you? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.